Hello, everybody. I'm Liz Testa, and this is Lavish Hope. I'm so excited for you to hear this upcoming conversation with my good friend and New York City-based difference maker, Mamie McIndoe. Mamie has been with New York City Health and Hospitals at Elmhurst, Queens, for the past nine years, championing the patient experience and being a leader for the Helping Healers Heal initiative, which supports staff in minimizing stress and trauma. Her diverse background in organizational development and training, working with multinational Fortune 500 companies and nonprofit organizations seeking to grow and change, has helped to bring about lasting results at Elmhurst. Mamie's life made a shift from corporate America after 9-11, as she's realized her life's work is to help the underserved. Mamie is also on the board of Housing Plus, an organization helping to house formerly homeless women and children while providing complete support services for them to lead their best lives. Mamie's proudest part of her biography is her 21-year-old budding filmmaker daughter. In this conversation, we talk about some extraordinary, poignant, powerful stories of how to find hope, resilience, and overcoming in the midst of deep challenges. Mamie's authentic, honest sharing is full of helpful tips and strategies for rising up, even in the midst. I can't wait for you to listen in. So it's so great to be here on the Lavish Hope podcast. I'm Liz Testa and so delighted to be with my dear friend and um, fellow New Yorker, an amazing businesswoman and a marketplace leader in the nonprofit sector, Mamie McIndoe. Welcome, Mamie. Oh, thank you, Liz. I'm so glad to be here. So excited to have you with us. And, you know, you're... Um, The work that you've been called to do, especially in this last season, uh, the COVID pandemic season, is really so inspiring. And I'm um, really grateful that you had time to come and uh, and share a bit of your experiences and your story and help inspire our listeners to embrace lavish hope and uh, hear your story of resilience and overcoming. So um, if we can jump right in. I'd love to hear what resilience means to you, Mamie. Oh, sure, Liz. And again, thank you. Thank you for having me and thank all that are that are listening today because there is such great hope, hope out there, despite how hard it is Mm -hmm. um, to have it sometimes. So resilience means to me uh, the ability really to look adversity in the face and to keep on keeping on, to be able to, despite the feelings, despite the stress, despite concerns, despite all the things that weigh us down, to be able to get up and to keep moving forward. And sometimes it's one foot in front of the other, sometimes it's moving big, big, big boulders, but it's just doing what one needs to do in order to fulfill their mission, their goal, their dream, whatever the task is at hand. That's really a great, great image. Um, how has how has your working definition of resilience, how has that been shaped by your past and maybe even been changed or deepened by your experiences? It, it has and it's grown and it's, um, you know, my mother used to always say that I persevered and had the ability to to keep moving forward. And I never really kind of got what she what she meant with that. And I've always been in organi- helping organizations to grow, change and develop and to be who they are, to to reach their fullness. 
whether it was the church or a corporation or now at a city public health care where I work. So it just it's changed because any project or anything that I've had to undertake has always involved some difficulties, some some stress, some mountains that kind of needed to be moved and rearranged. And and I also needed to be able to bring others on board with the thing, the initiatives that I've had to do. So that has taken great um, trust building at times, um, taken me more time than, than I thought it would to very important to build those bridges and to to lay that groundwork in order to be able to do the things you kind of need to do to make the change or to show the resilience to put the stressful, the difficult things aside. And sometimes you can't even put them aside. You just know what the greater mission, the greater good, what what the greater calling is, and you need to just keep focused in doing it. Wow. It's like perspective taking. It's perspective taking, and you have to know the perspective. Um, You know, one of the things that kind of keeps me going is the Maya Angelou quote. I might forget what you did. I might forget what you said, but I'll never forget the way you made me feel. And I'm a feeling kind of person, which, you know, kind of aggravates those bosses and those people that are very heady and in any organization, nonprofit or not, you work with those. And it's always to me about, well, what's the feeling? That's why the trust, the relationship, the connections are so very, very important. So, you know, what, what are people feeling? What, whether it's my staff, whether it's, it's certainly our patients and our families or, or any of those relationships that I was trying to build in the organizations that I, that I worked with is really getting in touch with what are the feelings, what, what should the focus be? And I can, I can kind of keep center, very centered on that. That is really a, it's a very profound calling to be able to both, you know, have that empathy yourself because you're a feeler. And then also to have that, I mean, you talk about perseverance to be able to continue to care for people and offer compassion to people and come alongside them. Mimi, that's really, um, it's a significant gifting and like a set of gifts and strengths and skills that you need, I would think, to be able to do that. Yes, yes, um, you certainly do. I mean, at times, you know, the, the outcomes are good for those on the receiving end. At times, it's difficult for me. I, I come home, you know, and the self-care is the buzzword now, but what does that mean? We're not all going to make green smoothies and go out and jog. And so I'm um, the COVID and all the surges, I would come home and kind of be numb. Because as I was out there with everyone else and absorbing their feelings and their emotions and trying to help to keep the focus and to support them so they could do what they do, so they could use their skills and gifts and talents, at times it does take great toll on on oneself. So I need to, you know, I I need need to watch that and stay and stay in tune with that for, for myself as well so that I can get back up the next day and get back, get, get back on that horse or just stay, stay focused during COVID. I, I worked at the epicenter of the epicenter. No one ever knew Elmhurst hospital. It's a trauma center in Queens, one of the 12 public health care systems. Your city um, has wonderful public health care. And I just, um, it was my job to support the clinical staff and I just did everything I could enable, you know, in order to, in order to do that. Can you just maybe paint that picture, share a story of like your your story um, 
of how you engaged in, I mean, as you said, the epicenter of the epicenter. I mean, you know, you and I are good friends and, you know, I heard from you like what was happening in the moment and it was traumatic to hear about it in real time. But um, if you would, for our listeners, as as you, as you're able to just to sort of like paint that picture, that visual, and, and also maybe you can, um, you've already said it a little bit, but like for you and your role, Yes. Uh, interfacing, right? Like what, what did that look like for you? Like yes. how did you actually practically do that? Sure. Sure. So my normal role is what's called care experience, patient experience. And I coach, train formally, informally staff, and I work with staff and I work with patients and families all, all day long in a variety of ways. When COVID hit, it happened so fast and no one was prepared. So my role I wasn't doing direct patient care because at that time it was only the clinical staff. So my role shifted dramatically, but uh, much too many things I've done in my career, nothing is really defined. No one said, made me do X, Y, Z. I just got to work and did everything I could to support the staff. And I'll explain that. So the environment was quite chaotic. It, It felt like I was in a war a war zone and the army came to help us six months later and they validated that. I felt like I was in the middle of a battleground, but I'd never joined the army and I had no idea what I was doing. Death was all around me. Um, I worked for a marble church for a period of time and did part of my role was planned giving. And so I'd had end of life conversations and I'd certainly had many people who died and in my hospital work have worked with many people who died or or were, you know, very, very ill. So it wasn't, it wasn't dealing with, it was just the rapid way people were dying and the horrific way people were dying. They would drop at the door or have a nurse go take a break. and And she had just spoken to a family and said, I just bathed your, your dad, your dad's okay. And then the dad would die. So it was just the, the rapid and the horrific way that people would die without really knowing why or what was happening. We had hundreds and hundreds outside our doors um, trying to get in, trying to get tested. We're, uh, you know, a hospital who overnight became like 600 ICU beds. I had staff doing skills they hadn't done since nursing school. And so as I, I, I began this, um, what I call wellness rounds. And my job became, besides delivering supplies, and we got hundreds and hundreds of donations, but nobody would come in. They'd drop them on the street. Right. I'd have to get a cart, run out and get them. I tried to help feed the staff. And then I just became the queen of wellness rounds and would go around and and support our staff by listening, you know, by trying to share some hope, listen. Um, the layers of COVID were what was so hard. There was three real layers. There was the fear of of dying yourself. I was fearful myself. I would never see my daughter again. She was away at school or my family. And I had, I I come to terms, isn't the right word, but I had really reconciled that in my mind that 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 could be, that could be. But I knew that my greater calling was to help these hundreds and hundreds and it became thousands and thousands and thousands of people, my, are my staff, we have 4,000 staff and, and our patients and our families, I knew that I could provide a service there. So I stayed very, very focused on that despite, you know, my own pain, my own. Mm-hmm. So the layer of dying yourself or getting gravely ill yourself 
And then there was the layer of passing it on to one's family or one's friends. And, you know, many staff stayed, went into hotels, didn't see their family for a long time, stayed in a room. We all did this COVID detox when we walked in, stripped things in a bag, ran and took the detox shower. And and many didn't see anyone, you know, until really this summer or spring when things started opening it up. So fear for self, fear for family, friends, and then certainly um, fear for our patients and, and our and our families. It was, you know, there was this, there was no visiting hours. There was we had a caring connection program with iPads where we tried our best. Our nursing staff certainly tried their best to connect to families and let them know. And, and, you know, our nurses took great pride saying, well, I I was, we were there, we were there. And that's very consoling and it's lovely. And nurses are my great heroes yet, Mm -hmm. you know, you, if it's your family, you want to be with, with your family member and, you know, to see them intubated or to see the, the, the terrible things that COVID causes, you know, was, was hard, hard, hard for many hard for many. So mm-hmm. I just remained very focused. I do support through wellness rounds and food or coffee or mm-hmm. um, just really to, to listen, to hear. I did many, many standing debriefs mm-hmm. with units and we were just open for people just to come to talk, you know, to cry, to share, mm-hmm. to scream, to, to, the, the, if you can name the feeling and you can share the feeling, you have more of a chance of it not causing adverse effects in your life. So we we have a program called Helping Healers Heal, and we we try to help people process process that. And I'm part of the leadership the leadership team with that. So that's a really interesting. Um concept. First of all, thank you for sharing, I mean, from yourself about yourself, maybe, because that vulnerability, you know, we value that so much here at Lavish Hope, authenticity and vulnerability. And I think that is how, you know, when we do share from our own experience and from our own um, hearts, it helps others. I mean, that's part of Lavish Hope is just being able to share that. And of course, we know that that is also rooted in our faith, which we'll get to in a minute. But I'm very interested in this idea of naming and sharing the feeling, because I think that as we're seeing the trauma, the long-term trauma potential from this pandemic, um, and then everything else, I mean, there's all sorts of other things, the racial injustices. Yes, we had a year. We 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 had COVID, then we had all the racial injustice you know, with, with all kind of ethnicities, we, we had, we had the, right. you know, we don't want to go down the government, but there were just so many complexities to this, this year, this year and a half that added to the trauma that, that everybody has experienced in some way, whether they look at it head on or whether it's on their subconscious some way, or think about our children and our youth who, we're all remote learners and in different environments. So everyone has, you know, so it's very, very, I mean, people talk mental health and there's certainly a lot of things out there, but the more we can do to help identify people to identify what they're feeling, share the feeling, name the feeling, or sometimes you can't. So you need that outside, you need that outside referral. You need that person who's specifically trained to help you to identify that. And that could be 
one of the biggest gifts in life to, to have find a therapist, find a support person, find a clergy person, you know, rely, rely on your faith, whatever, whatever it takes. And for each and every one of us, it's different. It's different. You know, we can say, go meditate. We can say, go pray, but we have to find it in ourselves. I would read Jesus calling every morning. I love it. Just a little bitty, you know, devotional with a little something. And, um, and you would try to do, I, you know, they, then they say, well, God never gives us more than we can handle. Now, I don't know if I, uh, you know, I, I could get into a debate about that with you or, you know, the, the theologians. But I do think that um, God gives us the tools to be able to process it and to to listen to it and to to, you know, to to know that we're human and we'll have the feelings and that it's painful, then it's hard and to not sugarcoat that. So I do believe that very strongly. That's good. That's really good stuff, Mimi. So in the midst of all of this, where was one place where you were able to find hope in the middle of all of that? I know you've talked about the keeping on, keeping on. Yes, 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 yes. And you know, that is kind of the cliche. So, you know, one of the one of the sayings that I love to use and we explore it deeply in my classes is we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge others by their actions. So I had to be very, very strong. And I might think I was being, you know, caring and kind, but there were times when I thought, Mamie, you're stressed, you're angry, you're, you know, you need to take a break. So I needed, I needed to be very clear that my intentions on my inside matched what my actions were displaying because I was modeling and and I was this, you know, moment of kind of peace and and support for hundreds and hundreds of staff, primarily in our ICUs and our medical surgical units. You know, that 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 was very, very important. And help that kind of sense of hope, right? That sense of hope, yes. So the hope was so what so the question what what helped me with hope was really seeing our clinical staff seeing that they could go in the room and they could intubate and they could, you know, clean a body, you know, to be sure it was cleaned as they were putting it in the body bag to, to be able to see our, our, everyone rolling up their sleeves and showing how to intubate and showing how to, you know, put, put someone on their stomach as, as all the, you know, the protocols kept shifting and it was shifting mm-hmm. so quickly. And we have a global health center and we, we educate residents and we we have just top top notch people so seeing them persevere and do what they needed to do to save lives and we saved many that i thought mamie how could you cuz many of my friends and my family said quit quit wow why would you go back and kill yourself why would you, why in the world would you go back just stay home but in liz I, Maybe maybe it's a little insanity, but in my in my mind, I never. It just isn't who I am. It isn't what I was called to do. I was, you know, when I got there, I was just kind of a bulldozer supporting because I saw those who were given such hope to try to save lives. So I thought I, I need to do my, you know, I, I've got a piece in this too. I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them. Wow. And you did. I mean, what a difference you made, right? That was, and you know, I love this. This is a very different perspective about where you like to name where you found hope. 
I think for some people thinking of that image of the, you know, the clinicians going in, the tech going in, the doctor's medical team going in and doing what you just articulated, that like for you to find that as hope, I think that's really, mm-hmm. that is really beautiful and poignant. And I think it's such a great um, window into the world that you all were living in um, and perhaps continue to. Because I think we have to look around at those around us, you know, and see God's calling, God, God's work in certainly mysterious ways. Certainly, you know, you could certainly question why this, why did this all happen? Is there a lesson? Is there, you know, we could go back and forth on that. I think it's important to look at those around us and to see what's working and to see how we can help move that forward in order to better humankind, in order to better mankind. And and we all have a piece of that, whether it was, you know, I can remember the morning I had the coffee cart on my wellness cart and, you know, it was, I was there 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And was I tired? Was I angry? Yes. Yes. And you've seen all sides of me. So, but I, you know, one person said, did I have a latte and chocolate croissant? And I just, I almost lost it. You know, <laughs> I almost lost it. And I looked at her, luckily in a mask, you can kind of only see my eyes, but you can still feel somebody's groove and somebody's body language. And I looked and I said, no, I don't have any chocolate croissant. And then I said, and this isn't my normal job, you know? And then I said, Amy, Amy, man, to check it out. You know, remember you're judge yourself by your, you know, others by their intentions and your actions, listen to that. So it just, um, you do, you have to keep in check. You have to keep in check while you can keep focus and then know enough in yourself, you know, when you need to take a break or when you need to take a breather or when you need to take a moment and, and then find that outlet, whether it, it's the, it's that silent prayer. Um, and then I started to use my hand washing time, you know, for that moment of mindfulness, you know, to kind of redirect because because you don't you don't get a lot of time in some situations to in which to 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 be resilient again with resilience. You're always given another chance. You know, it's like you when we're given another chance to breathe We're given another when God gives us another day, we need to, you know, find that find that opportunity to to do what we need to do as hard as that is to do. And, and it can be very hard as it was this whole year and a half. So you've already quoted Maya Angelou, but I always like to ask my guests if there's a favorite verse or piece of scripture or a quote. Um, that inspires you in embracing hope and being resilient? Well, I, I love the 23rd Psalm. Mm-hmm. You know, I love I love that. Um, you know, I found myself humming a lot. He leadeth me. He mm-hmm. leadeth me. Um, our nurses are very faithful women. And I would hear them sometimes humming hymns. And, you know, then I would kind of belt, belt it out <laughs> with them as well. So I just... You know, he leadeth me or or, or certain hymns or the 23rd Psalm is very, very important to me. Yes, I know it is. And that is so comforting for so many. And that is like for the Christian world, the 23rd Psalm is one of those, you know, walking through the valley, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, he restored me. He was, you know, and I would just pick, you know, not that I'd recite the whole, but, you know, just certain lines. Sure. You know, I would say again and again and again to 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 myself, really, that, you know, that that silent little little mantra. And, 
you know, my friends and your yourself. And, you know, I felt supported by, by many, many people, my church, you know, the prayer. I knew that I knew that I had that support. I couldn't articulate many things that were happening because I, I think I was so fried at the end of the day and the weekends. And I had, I had talked and I had listened and I, and I, I couldn't accurately describe what had gone on and what I had experienced. And, and the only thing I could relate it to, unfortunately, I was um, downtown on 9-11 and I um, experienced the, the World Trade Center. And I can remember, um, you know, that, that, that experience feeling like I was going to die um, that day, too. And yet I was feeling that over and over again for about eight months with COVID. And, and so it just I thought, oh, man, who would who would ever think they'd have that feeling of actually dying again in their life? Um, but it just so that was, you know, unfortunate um, that, that I've been been in two of these traumas mm-hmm. and two of these two of these tragedies. But when I got home, the, also the thing I walked from um, downtown home, as as we all did who worked downtown. Mm-hmm. And when you cross Chinatown, Canal Street, the day was gorgeous, was beautiful. And there wasn't smoke and there wasn't cinder and you could see yourself. And, and I remember thinking to myself, people are going to think I'm 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 crazy. I called people. I because the experience was so different. And at that point, of course, I didn't know the story because I was in a building lockdown, but it's kind of the same thing with COVID when I would come home or the weekends, you know, I couldn't accurately describe it because other people, you know, were talking about sourdough bread and and tired of binging on TV and, Mm -hmm. and working from home and their experience had been so different. So I just, you know, I just say to everyone with that, that we all have an experience, you know, whatever it is, and just be patient and listen and, and show people your support and they will know you are there. As I knew that people were there for me, even though I couldn't, you know, I couldn't connect back to them for a while. Yeah, there's that that need for us to hold each other's stories sacred. And, yes. and unique, yes. right? Yes, yes, because we all have a story and we're not to mm-hmm you know, my job isn't to judge anyone's story or to, or to one up and say, Oh, mine's, mine's worse than that. You know, you died. Well, I actually did die and come back. You know, it's not the, to judge, to give advice, to one up to, and you know, which is, which is hard, hard to do at times. Certainly I teach many, many classes on reflective listening and showing empathy. And, you know, there's certain things that we kind of all do naturally, which, which get in the way and, so it's certainly something that we all, I, I know I need to constantly, constantly work on as a, as a, my role is to kind of model it for staff. So I always have to keep myself in check too. Right. That's good. Right. We got to walk our talk. Those we got to walk our talk, right. And we're, we're human. We're human. Humans make mistakes. Um, yeah. Humans make mistakes. We make errors. We're not perfect, right? Nothing works like it does in my nice little communication brochure I use <laughs> when I teach empathy. But, um, you know, well, all we can do is with our faith is exactly is we can keep getting better, right? We can keep growing. We can keep learning. We can keep listening. Yeah. We can keep, you know, that I think that's life. I think until our last day on the earth, that's our that, that that's our opportunity. You know, God gives us that that opportunity each day we can breathe and 
And through COVID, I hope that each and every person is glad that they're alive and and can look at look at life maybe maybe in a different way, maybe in a different way. That's beautiful. So Mimi, how are you cultivating hope today? How am I cultivating hope today? Um, well, I have a 21-year-old daughter and she's she's home from college and she's found her passion as a filmmaker and seeing her get into her groove and her love and her passion and, and realizing we have this future generation. We have, you have children, many on the, you know, many I'm sure listening have kids or so kids in their life, or they look around and see kids in the playground. And we have to be hopeful for the future that the world is good right? That life is good, that there are opportunities out there that we need to learn better ways of relating to one another, but we can do that. We can do that. And it's this generation that's going to show us how. That gives me great hope. My daughter can speak about things and normalize them in ways that, you know, I still kind of, kind of, kind of struggle with. And so that generation of knowing that it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful world and it'll continue to be so even with our struggles and these hard, hard times that we're in. So the youth gives us hope, um, seeing, you know, patients, you know, live and get better or die with dignity. That that gives me hope. And when the sun comes up in the morning, as hard as it is to get out of bed, as it is many times, I'm not the real morning person. That's, <laughs> that's 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 hopeful. That's hopeful, too. Yeah, it's it just I just hear in you this confident faith that this your faith part of what has helped you to overcome so much of this adversity and that ability. I mean, Mamie, you know, we've known each other for some years now. We've worked together. We've traveled um, across the world together um, through our, our work in the church. And, um, and just seeing how you always, you just have this, it's like God gifted you with this ability to look on the bright side to want to leave something better than you found it. I mean, I remember when our kids were little, you'd say that sort of thing, like, we got to leave it better than we found it, you know? And and just the way that you have that beautiful gift of being able to overcome these terribly, terribly challenging times. And I think what you've shared today has got to be so encouraging for our listeners who are looking for like, you know, some little tool or tip, some sort of strategy, some something that they can take with them to help them on their life's journey so that when the going gift gets tough and it's, I mean, it is tough, right? I mean, that is the reality. There still is hope. Yes. And I just yes. think you've done such a beautiful job of sharing. It's a lot of work. It takes, it's a lot of introspection, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of look looking at oneself and, and really diving, diving very deep. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And You're welcome. And Mamie, do you have um I know that you're working within your hospital setting right now, but do you have any project or anything that you're working on that you would want to share with our listeners at this time? Sure, sure. Um just the city hospitals will give you wonderful care if you'll need them. There there's many in all the different boroughs. And also I'm on the board of a wonderful organization called Housing Plus. And Housing Plus houses homeless women and their children and provides complete they, a home. So they have a key just like you and I have a key and provides complete support services to them so they can lead their best lives. Therapy, counseling, 
mm-hmm. you know, different services, job, job training, job counseling, just many, many things um, that these women need in order to rebuild their lives. So I'm very, very excited about the work. Um, that's being done with that. And I was called to that, you know, the Bible tells us to work with the least of these and, Mm. you know, sometimes homeless people, you walk by them in the street and you, you know, you say, Oh gee, but um, you know, you just don't really think about, okay, what do they need to rebuild their life or someone who's coming out of incarceration? What do they need when they're left with, you know, a token? Um, And so I felt very called to help the least of these and felt this is where it's not, wasn't the flavor of the month charity Mm -hmm. or ones that get a lot of buzz and a lot of marketing, but it does wonderful, wonderful work and helps, has helped many to get back on their feet and to rebuild, to rebuild their lives with opportunities that most of us could never really understand, could never really understand because we've had a home and we've had We've had support and we have our keys and we know where to find our keys. So we're helping others to do that. That's so beautiful, Mamie. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Well, um, our time has come to an end. Thank you so much for being here on Lavish Hope, Mamie, and sharing your story of Lavish Hope, Resilience, and Overcoming. Um, God bless you for the important work that you have been doing for so many years and particularly the ways that you've made such a tremendous difference in the lives of thousands of, of people um, associated with uh, with the work that you do at Elmhurst. I'm just thinking, you know, the impact on, you said 4,000 staff people, and then you also have all of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of patients and their families. And I can just imagine that the little ways that you were able to touch them and give them a sense of comfort or a sense of somebody you know, understanding them or or commiserating with them, feeling compassion for them. It makes all the difference in those critical times, especially. So thank you. And, and, and all the best to your daughter as well as she can. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for the work you do, Liz and Lavish Hope. And thank you so much. Wonderful being with you. Good to be together. Take care. Thank you again for listening in to Lavish Hope. I hope more than anything, this episode has brought you one step closer to exploring what Lavish Hope, resilience, and overcoming means to you in your own life. You can connect with Mamie to explore workshops on empathy, reflective listening, and other communication skills at mamie.magando at gmail.com. You can learn more about Elmhurst Hospital at www.nychealthandhospitals.org and Housing Plus Opening Doors for Women in Crisis can be found at www.housingplusnyc.org. If you enjoyed this Lavish Hope podcast, please subscribe, leave me a comment and reshare any place here on social. You can also connect with me directly at ltesta at rca.org. This episode is brought to you by faithword.org, an online learning community where you'll find ideas for living out your faith, reflections on church and scripture, stories about how other Christians are following God's call, and resources to bring your own church or organization along for the ride. The Lavish Hope Podcast is produced by Anna Radcliffe with assistant production by Lorraine Parker, sound design by Garrett Steyer, and web support by Grace Ryder and Barb Ellis.